Hello and welcome to Mere Fidelity. My name is Matthew Lee Anderson. I am today's host for the show. I'm joined by Alistair Roberts. Uh, Derek and Andrew are off doing various and sundry things, advancing the kingdom of God in their respective locales, getting into Twitter fights, which are basically about the same thing, uh, I'm sure. So uh, we're delighted to have you all listening to us today. We have a guest today. We're delighted to have as well Kelby Carlson on the show, a friend of Mere Fidelity. Uh, 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 he's a second year law student, um, but he also does some theological reflection as a side gig. Um, as, a, as a side hobby, as many of us do. Uh, some people say that even though I'm getting a doctorate in theology, that theology is just a side hobby for me uh, because I do ethics, which means I don't have to think about actual theology. At least I'm pretty sure that's what Derek thinks about me. So uh, we love people who do theology as uh, lay people who do theology out of an interest and love for the questions and for God and uh, out of a desire to serve the church and help the church think better. So, uh, Kelby, it's terrific to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we wanted to talk about uh, theology of disability. Um, and Kelby, you can explain a little bit about your own context if you want. Um, I'm interested in hearing from you. You've, you've thought a lot about these questions uh, more than I think most of us, uh, certainly probably more than Alistair and I. Um, uh, how, should, how should Christians think about uh, what it means to be disabled? Well, I'll first say, just as a bit of background, I am totally blind. I have been all of my life. I have a genetic condition which affects my retina and its capability to process light and to process evidence of images and to transmit them. Um, so I have thought about theology's relationship to disability and disability's relationship to theology, and in general, a Christian's relationship to their own disability and how they should think of that in their going about their lives. Um, the first thing I'll say is that disability is a really broad category. Um, there are all kinds of people who are under the umbrella of disability, and it gets used in different ways in different contexts. Um, it gets talked about differently in the legal realm than it does in the, the uh, philosophical and theological realms. Um, so we, we don't have time, I think, to get into a really nuanced discussion of what disability is, but I'll just stick with the, what people think about when they think about disability. People who can't see, can't walk, um, have various bodily inabilities that inhibit functions and ability to sort of live in a what people would consider a normal way in everyday life. Um, and obviously there are two categories that we generally think of. We think of physical and mental disabilities. Um, and I think those raise different questions, but I'll give you a general sense of what I think. Um, the question of theology and disability in general is, is sort of a, a sub-question and a sub-category of questions about one, the providence of God and the problem of evil. I think to be accurate and honest, we need to <clears throat> we need to not relativize disability so much that we forget that it is not in and of itself a good thing. It's not good 
to be unable to see. It's not good to be unable to walk. I think scripture presents that in a pretty clear way. Um, if it didn't, you wouldn't have healing in the New Testament. But it also presents a sort of providential aspect, not only to disability, but to other bad things that happen to people. Um, so I wrote an article several years ago about disability's relationship to two things that Protestants have talked about a lot, and particularly Martin Luther talked about a lot. Um, one was the doctrine of vocation, and one was the doctrine of the theology of the cross. The doctrine of vocation essentially means that Christians, in living out their lives, are doing works of God in service to other people, regardless of their religious or ecclesiastical status. Um, and the reason this is important for disability is because oftentimes people get the sense that the disabled don't really have a vocation in and of themselves. Um, historically, people with many disabilities have been very isolated, um, not often able to interact with and participate fully in public activities. Um, and so we get a sense that disabled people don't have much to do or much to contribute. Um, and I think the doctrine of vocation suggests that even people with disabilities have unique works of service that they can do. And in saying that, we need to be clear that we're saying more than just disabled people can be a source of inspiration to other people. I think often we can we can fall into that mistake and say disabled people primarily serve and primarily serve the kingdom by making people recognize um, their own their own sort of blessings and their own their own relationship to God um, through the life of that other person. Whereas I think disabled people can offer various ministries to people and to the church directly. Some of them might be related to their disability in specific ways, but some of them, um, I would say, are just regular ministries. And so we don't want to absolutize disability in such a way that it becomes purely a sort of picture for other people to look at. But on the other hand, I do think we need to recognize um, that disability itself can be an occasion of God's glory, as we see in places like John 9 with the man born blind, or 2 Corinthians 12 with Paul's thorn in the flesh. Um, and I think that relates to the theology of the cross, um, which is that we can't climb up by our own efforts to gain justification before God, or even to gain true knowledge of God. We have to rely on God to do that. Um, and disability can be sort of a graphic picture of the consequences of sin and the inability of man to reach God without God's grace. Um, and so there are a couple ways of thinking about it. Um, the other thing we need to think about is that God uses disability in his providence for various reasons, um, and his power is made perfect in weakness. That's why I think there's also the danger of 
only seeing disability as this consequence of sin that we just need to try and get rid of immediately as quickly as possible. Um, and that's why you see that's part of the impetus of things like the prosperity gospel um, and faith healing. And that is more like a theology of glory that sees disability something that can be overcome by our own efforts, whether it's medical efforts or efforts to um, grow your faith to such a degree that God is almost obligated to heal you. Um, And so a lot of this is kind of a balancing test to use a legal phrase. (laughs) We want to keep all of this in mind while we're discussing disability. So um, there isn't necessarily a great way to start with one locus and develop a theology of disability based on one particular thing. I think both the experience of disability and the scriptural portrayal of God's providence with respect to disability and weakness are too complicated for that. Um, Now I'm sounding a little bit like people who talk about constantly wrestling with the text while not coming to ultimate conclusions. That's not what I mean, Um, but we don't want to simplify it down to just one element right, right. rather than several. Right. Um, I have lots of questions about all this, Alistair. Um, I want to make sure that you chime in, though. Um, uh, so why don't you kick us forward? Thanks, Matt. Um, the status of the body is something that particularly interests me in relationship to um question of disability, because more generally within Christian thought, I think the body has been coming to the foreground of many people's discussion lately in recent years. And I think it's it's helpful to reflect upon the way that the body functions in a very distinct way within Christian identity. I was thinking about this recently in relationship to baptism. You've mentioned in the past the importance of texts referring to presenting your body as a sacrifice. Um, that Those sorts of references where the body is treated as a sacrificial object. One of the things I found fascinating in that context is the way that in Romans 6, rather than speaking about the body in terms of its, or rather than speaking in terms of the subject's agency, or speaking in terms of our actions, or speaking in terms of the products of our activity, or speaking even in terms of our bodies as a whole, the body is presented to God as limbs and members, as a sort of dismembered body, a body that we we first possess in a dismembered form and then it is rendered to God in our action and and in other ways but in its most basic state it belongs to God as limbs and members that seem very much detached and we see this in the New Testament more generally in visions of the church a heavy emphasis upon the membered character of the church different members here and there And when we're thinking about disability, I wonder whether this provides us with one interesting angle to think about it from. The idea that the body is something that is fundamentally received as a dismembered gift and presented as a dismembered gift to God. And also the other aspect, the aspect of embodiment, that as human beings... We don't just have bodies, bodies as means of action, etc. But we are bodies. It's something that ourselves are. We discovered our. We discover ourselves in our bodies, and the body has this very unusual character to it because it 
is at the same time subject and object. It's that sort of threshold reality that connects us to the world. At the same time, it's us, but it's also part of the world. And teasing out that relationship specifically in relationship to something like disability, I think is key, because on the one hand, it is directly part of who we are. But on the other hand, it's something that is an object that can be looked at by science, by medicine, um, that is part of the world out there, that is an object within the world. And trying to relate those two things together and then more particularly understand them within a Christian framework, I think is one of the key problems that we have here, challenges that we have before us. And also, it's a great opportunity because I think maybe in these sorts of cases, it will be through thinking about cases like disability that we learn things about our bodies that apply to everyone. And also in exploring the vocation that is particular to someone who experiences specific disabilities, we can also learn more general truths about the Christian faith. We can get a, a greater grasp of the status of our bodies more generally. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Kelby, on ways of thinking about the body that you have found helpful in regarding your body relative to your Christian identity and your identity as a person more generally? That's an interesting question. Um, I'll start with some more general realities of that, and I'll speak to my own context. I don't want to speak to anyone else's experience, but I think what I'm about to say reflects a more wide reality that isn't just limited to me. Um, one thing you realize quite acutely um, if you can't see or have some other bodily limitation like that is your inter your interrelationships with others, and they become in some ways much more much more nuanced and much more intimate um, in a way which sounds odd, but because you can't for example, see anyone, you end up paying attention to things that others might not. Um, the idea of someone's voice as a sort of a sort of extension of them in the same way someone's eyes are, but it's more difficult, I think, to hide something um, in your voice. I think it can be more difficult to control your expressions and your sort of reality through your voice. That's one thing, but also through the sense of touch. It's, it's much more, I'm in contact with people much more through touch than I am through um, sight. And so one, one interesting thing is that I think I have a somewhat different perspective on touch than many people in the West right now. Touch is seen as on the one hand, something that's very intimate and something that um, you don't often do with people unless you know them really well. But on the other hand, um, my experience is that it can be very much like that, but it can also be, in general, a way to make contact with other people. Um, and so those are some general bodily realities as well as the fact that I think I am more conscious of relating to the world through my body directly 
um, for the same reasons that I relate to people with my body in a much more direct fashion often because I, the world is not mediated to me with images. And we know that um, there have been studies done that images are, for example, transmitted through the eye upside down and your brain processes them and turns them right side up. Um, so thinking about the idea of, for example, optical illusions, um, I don't know of very many things that might be ocular illusions, for example. Um, so I don't want to start getting mystical and say that I have some unique access to truth, um, but I do think there is a sort of different experience because my mediation of the world is almost exclusively through touch, and when it's through hearing, it's through a sort of abstract way um, that can only really be supplemented through things like touch. Whereas we think of sight as sort of detachable from the other senses. Um, in a way, my senses are so interlocked because they're, not, they're detachable from sight but not from one another. Um, and in terms of how this all relates to my Christian faith, um, I think I am very conscious of things like posture and in things like using my body for certain um, for certain rituals and for certain actions. Um, I am I don't often kneel when I pray, but when I do, I'm very conscious, even though I can't see that I'm putting my body in a different and a sort of vulnerable um, position. And I think the the sort of vulnerability and the what you call the dismemberment of the body is very evident in my in my sort of relation to the world, um, and I think it does reveal something about any Christian's relation to the world because we all exist in a state of dismemberment whereby our bodies are not fully functional in the way that they were meant to be. The world is not open to us in the way that it was meant to be, and our bodies are not open to one another the way that they're supposed to be. Um, so I think disability re can reveal both positive and negative aspects about the body and the body's relation to the world and about how there are different things one can have access to in different ways depending on what kind of disability you have that affect your relationships with people, with objects in the world, um, and with how much you consider yourselves to be sort of linked to an object. I'll give you a brief example and then I'll let somebody else talk. But when I can't, when I'm traveling, often I'm using a cane and what this means is I'm extending my reach out in front of me so that I can feel things on the ground um, to get a better sense of the landscape and of the world. And this really means that I'm extending my body in a way um, an object is almost becoming part of the way I perceive the world, whereas most people, um, their eyes are the ways they perceive the world primarily. And so the subject-object distinction is elided, and it's elided for me in a different way because an object is actually becoming part of a subjective experience. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, Kelby. I think your um, your point that the sort of cane becomes an extension of your body, in one sense, um, 
so early on, you you took a, a pretty strong stand on the claim that um, disabilities are sort of uh, objectively deprivations, if we can say that right. Like they 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 are. You you describe them, I think, actually fully as bads. Um, it's worth, I think, for listeners listening at home uh, to to just realize that. Um, that's a pretty controversial thing to say um, out front about disability, right? Like there's that, that, that you're taking a stand within a particular debate. And one way of framing what goes on with um, sort of the cane that you're using and if people are deaf, uh, you know, they're, they're signing to one another and so on, is that they're supplementing or they're, they're, there's a kind of um, replacement of the lost uh, capacities, the sort of capacities that would ordinarily be there. Um, and what that entails or what that signifies is something like disabilities are not sort of objectively deprivations. They're only deprivations because uh, society has configured itself in such a way that um, it privileges those who are able-bodied to use that language, right? It, it privileges those who sort of fit the stereotype of what um, human bodily capacities should be. Um, and so on this reading, on this understanding of, of disability, it becomes a kind of mere difference, right? It's, um, it's the sort of difference that is, um, is not intrinsic to the... Um, the, the sort of body or, or the bodily capacities, it's really a difference that exists because of the, the way in which society has, has constructed itself. Um, what do you make of, I mean, why out of care? I mean, you've thought about this a lot. You, you took your really strong stand for reasons. I, I'd be interested to know what those reasons are and, and why, do you, whether or not you, you think that um, as Christians, we have to go one direction or the other on that sort of debate. Yeah, well, I think it would be, it would be wrong um, to deny the social aspects of disability. Not all of disability's bad consequences come from what I do regard as an objective deprivation and non-function of a certain bodily part. Um, because certainly one can imagine a world that if no one could be able was able to see or many, many more people was enabled to see, just as an example, um, one can imagine a world that looked very different and that was far more open and that space was far more configured to a reality where sight was much less the norm. Um, and so I do think Christians should be on the forefront of altering social realities to the degree that they can to allow people with disabilities to, um, to flourish. And so my vision of disability acknowledges um, that there is a sort of deprivation in the reality of disabilities. Um, and it certainly varies with disability to disability, and we could argue about the nature of deprivation and what exactly that means. But I think it's pretty hard to deny that I have less access to certain experiences 
um, than many other people do, and that such, such a lack is not an objectively good thing, and there's at least some sense in which you can say that it would be better um, if I could see people's faces than if I could not. But, um, I mean, and, yeah, to that, Kelby, you could also, you could also say something like, um, it is that you clearly don't have as much of certain experiences as other people. It's not obvious the case, obviously the case that your well-being is thereby diminished or um, uh, because you don't have access to those experiences. I mean, the missing premise is something like those sorts of experiences are intrinsic to a fully flourishing, um, fully happy life. And um, that, that, that turns out to be a much harder premise to defend, I think, than, um, than it might appear. There at least, we, we, we sh- I think we would probably both agree, they're at least not fully intrinsic to a fully morally virtuous life, right? So um, nothing about anything that we're saying about disability would entail any kind of difference in status or worth or sort of moral value of agents or anything like that. Right. Um, we're talking, yes, we're, that's true. We're talking about sort of objective well-being, happiness, flourishing things that are in one sense, um, uh, beyond, beyond sort of moral assessment, moral value, moral status. Yes. And that's a very interesting question. Um, I think we should say at the outset, and I have, um, been assuming this as a premise that all humans are created in the, in the image of God, regardless of what their bodily status is. Even people who cannot, who are mentally disabled and cannot um, exercise certain rational capacities that are often historically thought to be essential to the image of God. So I think that's important to emphasize. Um, and you are correct that disability is not an impediment or is not an intrinsic intrinsic impediment, I should say, to the living of a fully moral and virtuous life. Um, But I think that it is some sort of impediment to... um, I'm attempting to phrase this uh, in a way that captures something more than well-rounded... but to a, what you might call a fully experiential life. Um, there is an aspect of the human experience that is not merely um, extrinsically limited or socially or constructively limited because of a disability, but intrinsically limited. The experience of sight is intrinsically limited by the fact of somebody's blindness. And I think experiencing the world in certain ways is and experiencing the world fully is while not necessarily a moral good certainly a kind of good um and a kind of good that i think you would have seen in the original creation one of the things i find interesting thinking about these subjects is the way that as we reflect upon disability we become more aware of the significance the the differences between specific senses and what they bring to our knowledge of the world what particular aspects they throw into sharp relief what are what things retreat into the background um so you remarked earlier about the significance of the voice and personhood something someone remarked upon a while back to me someone who was going 
death was that he had already experienced sight problems, but he found that deafness cut him off from people in a way that um, sight issues did not. Um, And it's that ability to hear people that I think is it's worth reflecting upon. It's something that comes to the foreground. We start to notice it um, under certain conditions. And in the same way, the significance of sight. One of the things that is striking within our day and age, particularly the modern era onwards, has been the dominance of this one particular sense, the way that we constantly talk about thought, we talk about systems in terms of sight, metaphors. I mean, you you even spoke about earlier about your vision um, for disability. I mean, that's a sight word. And most of the words that we have about thought tend to be sight words. And things like touch and sound retreat into the background. But yet scripture focuses a lot upon hearing and not so much. And tends when it talks about sight, it often talks about it in, um, in marginalising terms that we do not live by sight. We live by faith and by hearing. Um, In the same way, we have this visually saturated culture where the immediacy of sight is constantly filled up with things that um, grapple for our attention. And within such a context, it can be very helpful to think about the specific things that sight sight brings to the foreground of our attention and the other things that are pushed to the background by it and in that respect reflection upon disability can be profoundly illuminating um, in our experience and exploration of our place within the world more generally within the modern age and it can provide a very critical insight to the ways that we have been distorted by an over-reliance upon sight. So in that sort of respect, it can, reflection upon disability can play an almost prophetic role um, by calling to attention things that those of us who are sighted, etc., may not notice precisely because we are sighted. Yeah, I think that seems right, Alistair. At the same time, some of Kelby's concerns that he had raised earlier about instrumentalizing those with disabilities um, uh, come to the fore. And I mean, these are these are concerns that uh, uh, we could have not just with respect to those with disabilities, but anyone's particular lives, right? So we could say that my own life in certain ways bears as a prophetic witness not to engage in certain sort sorts of behavior. Don't take up blogging. Just don't do it. It's not going to end well. Um, <laughs> like, bad, bad, run away. Um, um, I think on you that know, front, d- though, there's a different, w- w- there's w- a significant difference between <laughs> serving as a cautionary tale, as you always do, Matt, and serving as someone who's who perceives things that others cannot because their attention is saturated from other sources. And that isn't... I don't well, think that, that's just instrumentalising. That would be interesting no, I don't, to hear Kelby's thoughts on it. Well, I mean, just to clarify my point, I'm, um, I actually think that my objections have to do with the fact that I can see things that others can't part, uh, precisely by virtue of my extended participation within that medium and within that community. Um, 
And I don't, I was going to say, I don't actually think that um, the worries that people have about instrumentalization are necessarily sufficient to overcome the, the sort of analysis that you were providing. I think there are dangers there, but I don't think that those dangers are determinative or definitive. I think it's just the case that human lives bear witness to um, various goods and draw attention to, can draw our attention to, to to various goods, regardless of whether they are disabled or not. Um, certainly certain forms of disability are going to, to highlight those. But I mean, we, we could talk about more extreme forms of disability, right? We could talk about um, uh, something like Alexander syndrome or uh, um, Tay-Sachs disease, right? Things that are um, uh, reduced capacities to levels where um, there's human life present, but uh, almost no ability to function independently or autonomously in the world. At that point, if you don't have something like a um, prophetic account of the value of the human body, the human life, um, uh, the value of that life to a community and the way in which all of our lives are inextricably wrapped up, wrapped up in each other, it becomes very easy to look at those sorts of lives and say, well, that's, you know, that's, there's a threshold beyond which that life just isn't worth living. Um, which I think is bad. So I think I actually think also the sort of thing that you're saying is really important, even while it's it's genuinely very dangerous. The important I, things usually are dangerous, though. So right. So that's hoorah. <laughs> I had a weird experience about a year ago on this front, which was suddenly discovering that um, I have what's called aphantasia, which means I don't have mental images. I don't hear things i can't hear things in my head i can't imagine sense things touching my body or anything like that but it turns out most people can and that's weird to me i never realized that most people i thought most people when they talked about seeing things in their mind that was just some sort of weird metaphor but actually people do see things in their mind most people do and i thought wow i've obviously been missing out this whole time and i wonder why it feels like to read a novel when you can actually picture the descriptions rather than just hear them um, as you're reading them out. I mean, I can't hear the voice in my mind, but I can speak to myself. And what struck me after that was realising that my position as someone experiencing and thinking within the world is a very situated one. It's one that I tend to think you just perceive the world normally like everyone else and it's that experience of suddenly realising that you perceive the world from a very specific position. And for most of us, I don't think we ever think about things... We don't think clearly about the ground that we're standing upon, about the specific ways that our senses shape the way that we relate to the world. And I think that's one of the things that disability can bring to the forefront, that someone who's disabled we're very much aware that they experience the world from a specific vantage point or a specific position. And that's a unique position. But we think our position is just normal, so we don't reflect upon what is specific to it and what is um, what some of our openings out to the world, our interface with the world, can lead us to miss, to see more clearly, to etc. And I was wondering if um, Kelby could give some thoughts upon the way that this can um, 
in his own thinking how this has um, played out? And also, is there a broader sense in which disability explored this way can bring to light a broader understanding of um, human embodiedness? Yeah, um, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, I think it gets back to one of Matt's questions about the intrinsic deprivation of disability versus the social reality. And I think this is a good nexus um, to think about that because what we see is, as Alistair describes, a very situated sort of perception and presence in the world. I can say that while I don't have aphantasia, for example, it's much easier for me to imagine hearing something than it is touching, smelling, or tasting something. I don't know, I've never done any looking into whether that is unique to me or whether that is a feature of blindness when it uh, arises at birth. Um, but as Alistair said, it gives me a very distinct sense of being situated in the world and not only my perceptions, but my perceptions linked to my thoughts um, being inextricably related to my bodily presence in the world. Um, and um, the reason I say it's a good nexus for the question of flourishing is because when one is aware of that kind of situational presence, one can draw on one's perceptions to access things or to at least get understanding of things in the world that other people might not. Um, and even if other people, for example, close their eyes for a while, um, they are still, because of their different situated presence in the world, are not going to be able to perceive things in, um, in that particular way, in a particular way that a person with a disability might, whatever the disability happens to be. And when I think about this, I'm sort of reminded of the theologian John Frame's um, triperspectalism. He talks about the normative, situational, and existential perspectives, not only in theology, but also in life. And I think we can see that when we start talking about disability. We can talk about the sort of normative aspects of disability, which is what I think I have been talking about when I talk about disability being objectively deprivational or objectively depriving somebody of certain experiences that make, might make their life fuller or deeper. But we can also look at the situational and existential perspectives where a disabled person might be open to a certain kind of human flourishing that actually isn't available to everyone else, or at least a certain embodiment of moral flourishing that is very unique and not necessarily replicable um, in a sort of universal abstract Kantian sense. Yeah. Um I, so I think th that that's, that all seems right. Um, one, one, one broader question I think that I'm wrestling with as I think through all of this is, um, whether or not there are ways in which, um, and you hear this sometimes people will say these sorts of things. Well, we're all disabled in some sense, right? So if we, sh if we shift the frame of reference such that, um, what it means to be a, sort of ordinary human being is something like Superman. Well, we're all disabled relative to that. We're, we're all limited um, 
in in that sense. Uh, uh, and as as in fact, enhancement becomes uh, possible, and as it becomes possible, as it becomes uh, pervasive, then there will be real questions about the ways in which ordinary what what were previously ordinary human beings are now in fact disabled relative to the kinds of capacities and possibilities that are available to us um and one one of the one of the aspects that you had said early on was the way in uh, the, the sort of broader lesson for everyone uh was that disabled individuals sort of bear witness to the um that there are goods that can only come about through grace. Um, one, one for, for Aquinas, um, human beings are, uh, have a natural desire for God that cannot be fulfilled. Like it's, it's, it's actually structurally unavailable to them. The, the, the fulfillment of this desire that everybody is born with just, just, is in fact a permanently frustrated desire, except through an additional sort of measure of divine grace that uh, enables that this natural desire that everyone has in order to be fulfilled, um, which is one way of sort of framing human nature, human being as sort of like permanently structurally frustrated in its deepest essence, right? Um, a capacity uh, that um, is in, in one sense broken, right? Like there's a desire there that can't, uh, that just can't attain its end. Um, because we don't have the power to attain that end on our own. Um, is that, is that sort of line of reasoning helpful or useful, or should we just avoid those sorts of, um, thoughts altogether as, 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 as non-disabled individuals? Should we, should we just run away? No, I don't think we should avoid those thoughts at all. And I think that um, actually links up pretty nicely with what I was saying earlier. Um, in a sense, we are all disabled in, I think, a very similar sense to the fact of universal sinfulness. Um, and we can learn things from that. We can learn things about the reality um, and the disjunction of our life, um, our embodied and spiritual lives as they exist now and, for example, as they will exist in the new creation. I think we just don't want to elide that into the idea that disabled embodiment does reveal unique ways of percepting, perceiving the world, unique ways of flourishing, and a sort of unique witness to the ways not only God's grace enters the world, but also God's providence enters the world. And what I, one of the things I mean by that is we can look at the example of Jesus, for example, um, and we can look at the model of the incarnation and the state of Christ's humiliation as a kind of revelation of a kind of revelation of disability, although we have to be careful, of course, in how we theologically articulate that. But not only can we look at the incarnation from that perspective, we can also look at how the resurrection of the, reveals a sort of providential extension of disability insofar as the remnants of Christ's crucifixion remain with him. The wounds in his hands and feet and side remain with him as a providential witness to 
his crucifixion and resurrection. And so not only can we see disabilities in a structural way in terms of social realities of marginalization and in a theological way as a revelation of human weakness and of certain kinds of human flourishing, but we can also see it as a unique way in which God providentially outworks his plan in human lives. Just in conclusion, on um, as Christians, our bodies are so central in many respects. They're the temple of the Holy Spirit. They're um, the site of our limbs and organs are presented to Christ as um, weapons for his service. And we're also marked out for resurrection. And our bodies are marked out and sealed in baptism. And in other ways, we our bodies are very much the site of God's redemption in ways that often we do not reflect upon enough. I'd be interested, just in conclusion, to hear your thoughts on what you believe that disability can, um, how disability can speak into the question of the salvation of the body. Yeah, um, well, as I said before, um, I think disability speaks to it in a couple of ways. We need to not ignore the reality of healing in the New Testament. Um, and the fact that Jesus' healings were a sign of the new creation. But I think we also need um, not to deny the radical shift that we see between old and new covenants where people with deformed limbs, where people with leprosy, where people with all kinds of bodily abnormalities are now invited into the reality, the spiritual realities, but also the physical embodied realities of the new covenant with respect to baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, And so we want to keep in mind, one, the nature of the new creation and the hope of resurrection that God reaches out and offers to all by faith, but we also want to keep in mind the grace that comes with the transformation, not only of the body, but of how God relates to and how the church relates to the body and the entrance of and broadening of the new covenant to include people with all kinds of abnormalities that we would have seen as sort of falling outside the rule of God or the um, extent of God's covenant relation to people. That's a great uh, note to end on. Kelby, thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, sharing with us. Uh, We're really grateful for your work and your witness. And um, uh, if people want to learn more, how should they find you if they want to find you? Um, I don't have a blog. Um, You can look under Alistair's blog. There is a guest post that I wrote called Disability, Vocation, and the Theology of the Cross, which um, is sort of an introduction to the topic. It covers some of the same material that we covered on the podcast, and I would phrase things somewhat differently if I were to rewrite it, but that's a that's a good way to find me. Um, if people want to email me, my email is 18carlson, spelled C-A-R-L-S-O-N, at C-U-A dot E-D-U, if people have follow-up uh, questions about what we've talked about here. Um, but those are probably the two 
best places to find me. I do comment occasionally on Alistair's blog and on Mirror Orthodoxy as well. Um, well, you should spend your time better uh, than <laughs> writing in the comments because you've got great things to say. We're very grateful for it. Um, we'll absolutely link that post in the show notes at Mirror Orthodoxy. Uh, for those of you who are listening at home, thank you very much for your time and attention. We hope that this has been uh, uh, beneficial to you and a blessing. Um, we appreciate whatever support you can give us. It's just telling a friend. We're very grateful for that. Um, we do have a Patreon account. If you'd like to support us financially, that helps cover some of our expenses. Uh, and all of that is in the show notes at Mirror Orthodoxy. Um, until next time, uh, again, you have our gratitude uh, for your kindness. And we look forward to speaking with you all again soon.